Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble on weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And as best I can tell, it is the law of the land that every podcaster in every corner of the podcasting universe is required this week to have a take on Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars. But you know what? It's Thursday. It's been five days. All the best jokes were made on Twitter in the first 10 minutes. There are no original opinions remaining. So I'm going to instead focus on how much I hated the In Memoriam segment. Uh, The music was way too upbeat to play over pictures of the recently deceased. Uh, Also, whoever decided to send Liza Minnelli out there on that stage in her current state should never work in Hollywood again. Uh, So those are my non-Will Smith Oscars takes. John, since I assume you weren't watching the Oscars... What were you watching on Sunday night? And whatever it is, do you have any takes on it that you'd like to offer? Well, you know, as far as the music goes, uh, who knew that they would go the Irish wake route? Uh, that's, <laughs> yeah. an, that's an acquired taste, I guess. But uh, yeah, the best Oscars take I heard was before the ceremony. Someone was talking about the Oscar statue uh, itself being the last of the dearly departed in that segment, followed by an announcement that the show must never go on again. That, that would have been a nice way to end this disaster. Um, but apparently after this crazy thing, the show will go on with some sort of WWE style uh, event next year. I'm not sure it'll be nudity or violence violence or mm. or some combination thereof but uh, clearly something will will have to give but um you know believe it or not i think sunday night was the night i caught up with a movie i had recorded from hbo called and if you couldn't believe i nailed the first three names of three in-sync singers last week this <laughs> should top it and i think you'll know this movie promising young woman starring someone named carrie mulligan 
it's uh she's trauma at a young age yada 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 revenge attempts yada and then the whole movie either goes completely off the rails or it's the most brilliant twist ever i don't know what to think but I actually like that. Um, let me to check reviews that ran the gamut, really, on both of those. So I'm not exactly the target demographic for this movie. And <laughs> frankly, it almost lost me in the early going. But I heard good things about it because I read movie reviews, even though I never watched most of them. So I stuck <laughs> with it. Uh, oh, back to gambling. Yeah, yeah there was some risk taken in life uh, here all, all across the board uh, with some working out and not all of them. And that's not much of a spoiler, I hope. <laughs> Okay. So I have heard of the movie. I remember, oh, I think, I think she was nominated for Oscars two years ago or yeah. whenever that movie okay. came out. She was mm. up for best actress or, or something like that, but that's about mm. all. I, I don't know much uh, about it. Never saw it. Mm. I, I was, I was hoping you would say that you happen to be watching the movie GI Jane. That would have been the best possible <laughs> be answer, but uh, I've never yeah. seen that one either. Yeah. <laughs> I've actually never seen it either, but I, mm. I, I did of course get the reference and uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, anyway, enough about that. Uh, we, we move on to the Grammy Awards this Sunday and uh, yeah. off air. I will be sending you my picks so you can place some proxy bets for me in New okay. Jersey. <laughs> uh, just right. got to familiarize myself first with the work of Doja Cat and Lil Nas X and Olivia Rodrigo and various other musical artists nominated for awards. It's all a little outside my wheelhouse. Uh, no nominations for Def Leppard this year, as far as I can tell. We're, we're just kidding, I think, because we don't allow proxy betting in New Jersey, do we? Or I'm not sure. Uh, well, you know, it, it's uh, as long as a percentage of the money being bet is yours, then I think it's okay. Oh, but, right. okay. Uh, you know, I'm good with that. Yeah. <laughs> the whole, the whole, also, I don't actually know for sure whether the books are doing Grammy Awards the way they do that the, mm. the Oscars. Um, but uh, even if they are, uh, yeah, I'm probably not calling in any bets. That was uh, just a joke okay. for the podcast. Okay. All right. Thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 187 of Gamble. If you missed any of our previous 186 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And of course, keep our wives' names out of your effing mouths. Hey, man. And coming up a little later in the show, I'm going to be joined by Roto Grinders expert analyst Justin Van Zuden to offer his insights into the Masters. Rather than wait until next Thursday to run a Masters preview just after the tournament is teed off, we're actually breaking it down a week early. And we'll ask Justin about the favorites, the long shots, and the golfer everyone is talking about and even betting on, Tiger Woods. But first, it's been a thankfully not as busy week as usual in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Yeah, as you just said, John, uh, it's not been as busy as usual uh, this week in the world of gambling. We're only doing two news items this week, uh, but in a sense, we're doing six since our second story is, in fact, five stories in one. Hmm. Let's start with a singular story and a complicated one that was broken and written about in staggering detail by our colleague Matt Rybaltowski on Sports Handle. Since the Russian attack on Ukraine began, countless corporate brands pulled out of Russia, including all of the largest sports betting companies servicing the U.S., except one, data provider Sport Radar. Matt did some digging and discovered that Sport Radar's CEO, Karsten Kroll, owns a 23% stake in OOO PMBK, an entity that appears to be the holding company of Liga Stavolk, a Russian sports book. Matt continued pulling on threads, found that Liga Stavok appears to have indirect ties to Vladimir Putin. Uh, connect the dots however you want, but Sport Radar being the one sports betting company still working with Russia is not a great look. 
On Wednesday, Matt wrote a follow-up reporting that Sport Radar has announced it will not be making any new Russian investments, but Carl said nothing about its existing investments. This is a strange story to discuss. It involves a sports betting company's tiny tangential connection to a violent conflict that has been the biggest news story in the world the last several weeks. John, how bad a look is all of this for Sport Radar? Uh, and you know, the company's stock was going up at last check. So is this a case of interesting story, but not very impactful in the end? Well, you know, I take that all this is business being business you know, in the end. Uh, you try to read the room and decide to announce something that doesn't seem so pro-Russian. Then you hope that's enough to feed the bears or in this case, the bulls. Hmm. Uh, you know, so far, so good, apparently for them. But I'm sure there are contingency plans to abandon ship in case of emergency, you know, break glass, as they say. It's not pretty, but this is free enterprise. Look, the NBA has some pretty interesting relationships with China uh, in particular. We don't focus on that too much, do we? I mean, it's an important story of what I used to call the just saying variety. It's important for the public to know things like this so they can make informed decisions. Now, what they do with it, that's up to them. If the marketplace is not upset, it is what it is. And and even the industry, uh, gaming industry, it is what it is. It's not like Sport, sport Radar is you know, pulling out is going to save hundreds of more Ukrainian lives. I wish right. it would, but that's not going to settle anything. So sports looks pretty damn insignificant within this prism. So, uh, you know, like I say, the more information the public gets about the companies like this, the better. But then what they decide or not decide to do with it, you know, that's up to them. We're not we don't we don't have to be, uh, you know, advocating for and against an issue as so much as just informing people. This is what it is. And then you make your own decision. Yeah, and, and this case is particularly sort of strange in that the public doesn't really decide whether to use Sport Radar, you know, like DraftKings, mm -hmm. FanDuel, Caesars, et cetera, they're public facing. And if mm -hmm. they have ties to Russia, then I think many gamblers around the globe will decide to withdraw their money from those sports books or stop mm -hmm. betting with them, you know. But Sport Radar is behind the scenes. So the only way they suffer any negative consequences from this is if the leagues or the sports books sever ties with them and move their business over to another data provider like Genius. Uh, I guess if the war in Ukraine stretches on and Sport Radar continues to maintain its Russian investments and Curl remains CEO, maybe eventually one of its major public facing partners walks away. But it seems more likely to me that nothing much will happen and this story will remain fairly inside baseball. You know, the, the, I don't expect some massive public outcry against Sport Radar. I mean, you know, Matt's story was tremendous and, and, it, and it has generated very good traffic, but not like earth shattering this thing went viral kind of traffic. So, yeah, I, I kind of don't see significant consequences or changes from any of this. And, and it seems to me that Sport Radar is doing the lightest damage control possible and, and hoping that'll be enough, um, you know, promising not to make any new Russian investments at this time. Uh, okay, great. Uh, and then they actually provided uh, a statement to sports handle on Wednesday. I'll read it here. More than a decade ago, Karsten Carl made a minority investment in a parent company that owns a Russian sports book. He does not have any operational responsibilities or authority in the company. Since this conflict began, Mr. Carl has not taken any dividends. And while sanctions prohibit an exit at this time, should these circumstances change, he is committed to donating any profits from the investment to charities supporting Ukraine. Um, feels to me like... Let's see if this is good enough, you know, just acknowledging the connection, downplaying it, pay a little lip service, 
promise a charitable donation. Will that do the trick? Uh, I think that's where they're going with this. Um, again, they're not a public facing company. I kind of assume what they're doing right now is going to be enough. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really old school on this. I've done so many stories like this over the years, over the decades. And uh, yeah, sometimes I've been amazed that, well, I just want to let people know this is, you know, what's the big deal or not. And it takes off. And sometimes it doesn't. And as I say, I'm old school enough that uh, I'm not going to get caught up in what happens or not. Just let people know what's going on right. and let them make their own decisions. Yep. Yep. And Matt's story definitely does that. It lets yeah. people know what's going on. There's like 4,000 words of here's what's going on. It's really well researched and well done. So mm -hmm. yeah, if, any, if any of our listeners haven't read it yet, it is worth checking out. Um, moving on to our second story. As I warned, this is five stories in one. Uh, there are five states that have been making legislative noise this week inching, or in some cases, maybe more than inching toward legalizing sports betting. The biggest of those states, though it's among the least far along with legislation, is Georgia. With a week remaining in the legislative session, a bill and a ballot measure introduced in 2021 were just brought up again. And if they move quickly, there's a chance sports betting will be on the November ballot. Next, we have Missouri, where last Thursday, two sports betting bills passed easily in the House, but they are expected to face a challenge in the Senate, and it's a slow process that could take until early May. Next door to Missouri is Kansas, where a sports betting bill was amended this week and moved through the House on Wednesday by a lopsided vote, and Representative Stephanie Clayton is expressing optimism that this could move through the Senate quickly, possibly by the end of the week, as some there consider Kansas to be racing to beat Missouri to the punch. Uh, two more states to mention. Kentucky's sports betting bill, which would also legalize online poker, got a first read on the Senate floor this week, but even one of its supporters called it a long shot to pass this year. And in Minnesota, a bill is taking baby steps forward, advancing through a series of House committees before making it to the floor. One thing all of these states have in common, they're all looking to pass mobile betting. So, John, lots going on. Any thoughts on any of these individual states or big picture thoughts on the overall national scene? Yeah, I think a little of each. Uh, first, I'm shorting Georgia and Kentucky sports betting legalization passes stock big time. Yep. Neither strikes me as ready for prime time. Um, I do like the Kansas City, Missouri daily double, though, uh, with a mid-sized prize of Kansas City area betters at stake for whichever one is first to market. I just wonder, though, and you mentioned baby steps. This one seems like it's in the toddler phase with some promising first steps and then a crash that leads to tears. So mm. uh, they'll figure it out, but maybe not right away. Now, Minnesota, land of Minnesota, nice. Uh, not sure about that one, but again, it's a matter of this year or next year. I think they get there also. Uh, but big picture you're talking about. Let's talk top 25 and states this time, not college basketball polls. <laughs> Who's left to legalize and or launch per the 2020 census results rankings? Top ranked California, number two, Texas, number three, Florida. Number seven, Ohio, legal but not launched. Number eight, Georgia. Number nine, North Carolina, except for a couple of tribal casinos in the western part of the state where nobody lives. We've got number 15, Massachusetts. Number 18, Maryland, legal but not launched. Number 19, Missouri. Number 20, Wisconsin. Number 22, Minnesota. Number 23, South Carolina. And number 24, Alabama. So that's 13 of the top 25, still somewhere in the mulling and or gestating stage of things. Miles to go before we sleep, Eric. Yeah, that's good. Uh, pick, big picture analysis there that it, it's it 
it starts to feel in my mind like we're, you know, we're well on our way to all 50 states or at least, you know, 48 <laughs> states or something like yeah. that. But there are still quite a few biggies that uh, mm-hmm. aren't across the finish line or have barely even uh, started their engines. Um, I have a particular interest uh, among these five that uh, that we discussed. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a particular interest in Kentucky because of my interest in online poker, which mm-hmm. uh it's been a decade now that states have had the opportunity to legalize this, and we're up to, I think, six. Um, crazy. Six states legalizing. You know, in, in sports betting, that's a really slow year. Uh, but uh, in online poker, that's a decade. Uh, and it doesn't sound like Kentucky is actually close at all. But you do have to start somewhere. Um, Kansas. Uh, that If any of these is going to happen quickly, it sounds like that's the one. Um it is by population, however, the smallest of these states we're discussing. It's not in that top 25. I think it's 35th at about 3 million people. Uh, not a game changer on its own, but if Kansas does act quickly, it could have a domino effect on Missouri. Seems like a solid potential setup there in Kansas. There are four commercial casinos. Each would get three mobile licenses. 12 operators is plenty for a state that size. There are also six tribal casinos, but they would need to alter their gaming compacts to get involved. Uh, Tax rates are still a point of discussion. One bill suggests 10% on mobile wagering, the other 20%. Um, But it sounds like it's possible there will be a vote today, Thursday in the Senate, uh, or maybe tomorrow, Friday. So if I had to peg a favorite to be the next to pass something out of these five, I I do think Kansas has the edge there. Um, I'm with you on shorting Georgia. Um, It's definitely the biggest deal among these states, but I just don't know how realistic it is. You know, the legislative session ends next Monday, and this is just to get it on the November ballot. Um, I know of one yes vote in Georgia on that November ballot. Uh, <laughs> actually, two. I'm sure Adam Small can talk his wife into voting for it also. So <laughs> so it's 2-0 so far in favor of sports betting in Georgia with a, a few million votes yet to be counted. Yeah, there's a poignant book to be written, I think. Uh, more than a decade ago, nobody remembers this, but in New Jersey, the push for online casino legalization, which succeeded in 2013, by the way, uh, was led by online poker people. And so, you know, the first year, online poker is doing about $2 million in revenue out of, you know, $10 million, And then it's 2 out of 20, 2 out of 40, 2 out of 60, yada, yada, yada. Now it's like $2 million out of 140-something million right. in online casino revenue in New Jersey. So the, the causes exploded in New Jersey. It amazes me, as you mentioned, you're specific to poker, but really overall, it's remarkable how few states have legalized online casino because if revenue is what you're looking for, it's bigger by far than sports betting. And uh, it just hasn't happened. And, uh, you know, so online poker got the the game going uh, for online casino overall when actually it hasn't quite taken off. Although, these compacts and yeah, Kentucky would help. And I, I think it's going to get there in the next five years, but I don't know if it's, you know, in the first half of that five-year window. Right. Yeah. If, if anything, if either one of those is going to really pick up steam, I think it's online casino over mm-hmm. online poker, just because mm-hmm. at some point other states are going to notice how much money online casino is generating <laughs> in the states where it's legal. Yeah. It's not even close. Sports, sports betting and online poker are, tiny, tiny potatoes compared to online casino, but online casino does also, I think, scare people more, scare legislators more. It opens up that risk. It's that idea of uh, a casino in your pocket. Um, you know, sports betting doesn't quite uh, bother people in the same way. And even online poker, again, they are partial skill games. 
online casino is just the house has the edge. That is a fact. And uh, it's pretty easy to uh, go down a bad path with it. So um, it'll be an interesting push and pull for online casino to get legalized in more states as the states debate. Boy, we could make a lot of money off this, but boy, it does open up a can of worms also. And the old legislators, and most of them are old, uh, right? You're right about sports betting. They think, you know, well, it's not so bad. You just bet on one game. And, and but uh, unlike casino, the game ends so quickly, you can bet all the time, yep. as if in game sports betting wasn't legal in every state that has mobile sports betting. So, I mean, the, the idea that, a sports betting is safe and unlike casino is unsafe because you can bet so often is absurd because you can do it just as often with sports betting. And there isn't even a state that said we're going to legalize, I think, um, sports betting, but not in-game wagering. That, that would be an option that would hmm. limit the amount that people could do. And I mean, I'm not sure it's a great idea because, again, there's an illegal market that's right there anyway to satisfy people. But that would be a way to split the baby, maybe. But I can't think of any state that does that. I think college. So I think Iowa, maybe some other states don't allow well, it might be either parlay betting or uh, individual wagering on players or something. And I understand right. that. But um, it's just amazing to me that, uh, as I say, that online casino hasn't taken off the way it, it figured to do, but you know, it'll, it'll happen eventually for better or for worse. Yeah. There are a few States. I forget if Iowa, maybe one of them, Pennsylvania definitely is where you can't do college player props. Uh, yeah. It's like one thing that's, that's off limits, but yeah, that's, I haven't heard any state talking about not allowing in-game betting. And that would be interesting if that makes the difference somewhere in terms of getting it passed. And I will just clarify as someone who has played online casino and done in-game betting. <sighs> yes, there are some similarities in terms of in-game betting allows you to keep betting but it's not as rapid as online casino if you're playing an online slot uh say you're doing a dollar a spin you can get through about thirty dollars worth of spins in a minute sometimes it's uh it's 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 really rapid fire so there's a slight slight difference there i think yeah that's uh scary i think i'm gonna vote against it now (laughs) (laughs) okay well all right john john brennan has just shut down online casino in new jersey oh well i'm nine years late though that's a problem It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. If you want to make good money playing DFS, you typically need to excel at more than just one sport. Joining us now is a Roto Grinders contributor who we had on once a while back to talk about Major League Baseball and showing his range. He joins us now to help us break down the Masters Golf Tournament a week out. He's known in the DFS world and on social media as STL Cardinals 84. He's a Grinders Live host, and he's also a CPA by day. So we really appreciate him taking some time to talk to us during tax season. Justin Van Zuden, welcome back to Gamble On. Yeah, happy to be back. I, I remember that I was on with you to talk baseball a few years back. I, time goes so fast. I'd probably be surprised if you told me how many years ago it was now, but uh you know, feels like it was just yesterday, but uh, yeah, and it's uh, it's an interesting time of the year in the calendar for me. I mean, obviously with tax time, and we've got two weeks until the tax deadline, but uh, the Masters starts the same day as Opening Day for MLB. So uh, that's just a crazy quirk in the calendar this year with the delay in baseball. So uh, it's going to be a fun couple of weeks. Get through the tax deadline and uh, get back to to baseball, and and with the Masters coming up, super excited. 
Yeah, all your all of your worlds colliding here uh, as, as we roll into April. Um, so in a moment, John will start uh, asking you the sort of questions that a guy who knows golf and watches a lot of golf would ask. I'll start with one, though, from the casual observer about the ultimate casual guys golfer, Tiger Woods. Um, as we record this interview on Wednesday evening, we're not even sure if Tiger is going to play this event, um, but he's listed between 50 to one and 70 to one to win at the various sports books. And according to one sports book, he's the second most bet on player right now to win the masters. I'll start by just asking you how big of a rube does someone have to be to bet on Tiger in the masters this year? Yeah. You're just doing it with your heart. And I know it's a fantastic story the guy hasn't played a competitive golf round in a year and a half. He's not going to win at Augusta, not with all the talent on the PGA Tour right now. Look, it'd be a great story if he plays. It would be the overused TV discussion of the week. And great content for all of us content providers <laughs> to talk in. It, you know, it makes it pretty easy to talk about it. But he's not winning the Masters. He's not worth a bet at 50-1. to 1. He's not worth a bet at 70-1. to 1. I did see right before I right before we started taping, literally about five minutes ago, uh, that one book uh, has him posted whether or not he's going to play mm. and it's minus 110 on both sides. So, you know, as of now, it, it truly is 50 50 whether or not he's going to, you know, he's going to play by the time some of you are listening to this, we might know for sure, but don't bet him to win. Um, there's there's better ways to use that uh, that money for sure. Right. Do you, do you have a leaning at minus 110 on uh, either side if you had to put money on it, whether he's actually going to play in this if thing? I or... had to put, if I had to put money on it, I think he plays. Okay. Um, just by the way, it seems like he's been practicing and, you know, this plane flew to Augusta the other day. Uh, and I think he knows the significance, uh, you know, to the game of golf, uh, given that he won a couple of years ago. So, uh, yeah, if I had to bet, I'd bet he plays, but I'm not going to bet him to win. <laughs> and, and, and I guess uh, in the people who did bet him to win, their best case scenario uh, from your perspective would be if he doesn't play, at least they'll get, probably yeah, get, get their it, money yeah. back. <laughs> I think the sports books probably hope he plays. Right. Uh, so of course, unless he wins, then, you know, if he wins, he's obviously going to be a major liability. Right. Uh, but his true odds aren't 50 or 70 to one. I mean, as great as he is, uh, you can't forget the age and the injuries and you know, the, the, the grind of that tournament uh, having not played in so long, it's just uh, a little too much to ask. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have some third hand inside knowledge on this and, you know, Tiger famously won a U.S. Open many years ago on a really bad knee and kind of limped his way through it. And that was sort of exciting and fun and courageous and whatever you want to call it. Uh, apparently if he tries to play on this leg and now with the condition of his back uh, on that hilly course for 72 holes, um, there could be some permanent uh, repercussions. So if you're a Tiger fan, you got a route that he doesn't play and uh, maybe that he never plays again because he's so far down the road now in terms of damage to his body that it's not good. But I'd rather focus on uh, Roy McIlroy. 11 years ago, of course, he has a four-shot lead entering the final round. He's a phenom. Got his whole career out of him. Uh, Four shots up on it. Well, he's four shots up to start the round. I think he was a couple of shots up on the 10th tee. Hits one up by Butler Cabin where they hand out the green jacket and it was funny at the time, like, uh, hey, Rory, you got to play the back nine first. You, gotta, you can't skip the line there and uh, grab your jacket early. And, of course, he makes triple bogey, bogey, double bogey, sad trombones, and he shoots an 80, and uh, it's brutal. And he never has one. So my question to you, Justin, is, uh, A, do you think Rory has a shot this year? And, B, do you think Rory is ever going to win this tournament? 
I do. I mean, I think this is probably one of his better shots. Um, I, I, I do like what he's done. He, he decided not to play the uh, match play event uh, this year, which is contested a couple weeks prior to the Masters uh, and can be a grueling week for the guys that uh, that play. You know, you get guys play six or seven rounds getting through that match play. So he decided not to play that. Uh, and he's playing this week in San Antonio instead, uh, which is not something that he generally does. So obviously he's doing that intentionally. Um, and I think, you know, some of it, it depends on how he looks this week. Like if he looks really good this week, uh, I think it's a good sign. So, um, you know, we don't have a super strong field for, for this week's tournament. And I, I think he'll be in the mix, but I like the fact that he's trying to change it up and play this week, play the week in advance uh, and, and maybe kind of change up his mojo a little bit heading into the, to the masters. But uh, if he's driving it well, I mean, he's going to have such shorter clubs into these holes, and uh, that helps with the with the runoff areas around the greens at Augusta. So, uh, yeah, I think he's got a good shot, and uh, you know, I probably be right now. It looks like he's around fourteen to one, fifteen to one, depending on where you look. Uh, I think those are pretty fair odds. So he'll probably end up with a sprinkle bet from me for sure. I mean, I, I'd love to see him win. He completes his career at Grand Slam and all that. But, you know, and obviously driving the ball is a big advantage uh, at Augusta. But I always think of winners with a short game and, you know, his chipping and his putting, it doesn't dazzle me compared to the other, you know, set of top 10 uh, contenders. And that's why I, I have a hard time picture. I'm actually doing it. Yeah, it's really weird when you think about the putting at Augusta because there's two different schools of thought. I actually kind of um, – operate under the that the greens are so difficult at Augusta that it almost neutralizes the negative impact of guys that are bad putters just in general like if you look at guys that are just woeful putters um you know the Augusta's greens are so tricky that oh, they're, they were a woeful putter before so if they're a woeful putter at Augusta it's not uh, net negative but uh, the good putters if they struggle if that's what you rely on and you bank on that putting, um, you know, it's really got to be dialed in at Augusta. And you look at last year, Matsuyama, winner, Zalatoris, uh, right now is probably, you know, one of the worst putters on the PGA Tour. Matsuyama's always struggled occasionally with the putter. So um, not to say that bad putters are always going to win. I mean, obviously, Spieth is very good with his short game. So a lot of different ways to uh, to attack it. But uh, you know, it, it is always going to come down to who makes the most putts. But I do think that Augusta tends to to neutralize the uh, the detriment of poor putters. All right. So uh, some of the names you, you just mentioned, uh, Rory, Spieth, they're, they're among some of the favorites uh, to win. I'm curious, looking at sort of the, the group of the guys with the shortest odds uh, as to which one stands out to you as the best bet and why. Uh, John Rahm is the sort of separated from the pack at 10 to 1. But then in that sort of 15 to 1, 16 to 1 range, all bunched together, you have Rory, Thomas, Spieth, DJ, Scheffler, and then a few more guys right behind them uh, who can be had at up to 18 to one. Is there one that you particularly love, Justin, among that group? And also, is there one that you're definitely fading in this tournament? Yeah, I'm probably not playing Rom at those odds. I mean, he's been the favorite in a lot of tournaments this year, and he really just hasn't shown us his A game for much of the spring. Um, you know, he's played okay at times, but for a guy that's constantly been six to one, seven to one, eight to one to win tournaments, um, playing him at 10 to one in this, you know, in a strong, obviously upper part of the field. Um, I, I just don't think that 
that that's going to get it done for me. So Rom, I'm probably out on. I do like Rory, who we just talked about. And frankly, the guy who's played, played the best golf in 2022 so far is Scotty Shuffler. He won the match play um, last week. He's won like three tournaments in the last six months. Uh, and he's just becoming one of the stars on the PGA Tour. He's still at, you know, 16 or 18 to one, which is fair enough. Um, I, I've kind of not been you know, looking at him all that much because I'm thinking, well, a regression is going to hit sometime, but it's time to just kind of recognize that this guy's just really good. Uh, so Rory Scheffler uh, are my favorites. If you want to buy the bad putter angle and you think that, you know, even the bad putters are, are okay at Augusta, uh, Victor Hovland at 18 to one is probably the best tee to green player on tour right now. Uh, he just struggles chipping and putting and, the chipping worries me a little bit here with all the runoff areas around the green and you can easily chip one over a green and just go hokey pokey back and forth a little bit. But, uh, you know, he's going to give himself some looks. Uh, I think eventually he wins a major at 18 to one. Um, that'd be more of a risk reward play. If you're looking for somebody that's probably guaranteed to be in the mix, I think Rory and Scheffler are the best bets. All right. Well, I think I like uh, Brooks Kepka. Uh, when he's healthy, there's nobody better. And I think, um, I think he is healthy. I think he played some match play, but didn't go too deep, which is good. It's off this week. Um, I think he's ready to go 72 holes. It really, you know, Tiger won a couple of years ago is really, you know, inspiring, amazing, but frankly, everybody fell down except Kepka. Kepka hit one in the water on a part three, but I don't think it was a choke. I think it was just a, uh, like a wind gust. So, you know, he's not afraid of anybody including tiger so i like him but i want to focus more on the, the the longer shots and even uh the philosophy at the masters meaning you know you see anybody you know 35 to 40 to one and up who you think might actually be able to win the thing you know value play and then also is this tournament better the worse or the, or the same for uh taking a long shot some tournaments they'll say you know you got to go with the chalk and others anybody can win you know what's your sense on the masters uh whether you you it's smart to take a risk on going deep and and if you do uh, who would the be the players yeah i don't think going into like the hundreds is the move i mean you get to the bottom of the masters field and you got about 20 guys that are just kind of happy to be here the past champions that they let in and things of that nature and the field is just so strong at the top that you know i, I think a lot of things have to break right for say a hundred to one guy to win and you look at some of the champions like spieth and uh you know obviously tiger in the past and you look at our last two champions dustin johnson hideki matsuyama obviously top class golfers um, so yeah, not, I think you can go into the 40, 50 to one range. Um, but that's probably about as deep as I go, you know, maybe 65, 70, a couple guys, I, I am on record that I think Zalatoris wins a major this year. The putting of late has been really, really bad. And I mean, he's always kind of been iffy, but it's been really bad lately. So that has me nervous a little bit, but he did finish second here last year. He's really, really good with everything else. He just, he has the yips right now, it seems like, with like the five, six-foot putts, and he's been missing a lot of those. But if he gets some of those to go down, his odds now, he's like 33 to 1, 35 to 1. He'd be shorter than that if he was firing on all cylinders with the putter right now. So I don't mind Zalatoris at 33 to 1. The guy that's probably the deepest I'm going right now is Corey Connors at 65. Um, yeah. Connors, another guy, very, very good tee to green. Uh, he, won he finished third place in the match play um, last week. And the last two Masters, he's finished eighth and tenth. So this is a guy that's been on a steady arc upward. The putter's gotten a lot better with him, uh, and he's always been a good striker of the golf ball. So you combine the way he's playing right now 
uh, with the fact that he has already finished top 10 in each of the last two masters to still be able to get him at 65 to one. I think that's a misprice. So Connors is, is definitely my long shot that I feel the best on right now. Yeah, I like those two names, too. And uh, the only thing I would say is Zalatoris has played so well in so many majors that um, and Shuffley, Shuffley, we haven't talked about much also that uh, even though Shuffley blew it in his first big chance a couple of years ago, I think generally speaking, he's he's ready to be a deep, deep contender. Zalatoris, I can picture with a one shot lead on the 17th tee and bringing it home, whereas I think even Connors and some other excellent players, I'm not as confident in. So you're right. Zalatoris' putter might kill him, but I don't think it'll be uh, nerves. So yeah, uh, definitely, definitely won't point. be nerves. I mean, he's posted really good numbers in some big time tournaments. And yeah, you mentioned it. He's got that lead on the 17th tee. He's probably going to miss the five footer to win the tournament, but uh, <laughs> uh, we'll see. But uh, I, I really like his game. I'm a big fan. I mean, he's he hits it a long way for, I mean, the guy looks like he's about 125 pounds. So uh, just uh, some of the young talent on the PGA tour right now is just fantastic. And I mean, that goes back to the point where I just think, you know, it's uh, it, it's roses and, uh, and happy thoughts. If you're just, if you're trying to make a case for tiger, but uh, golf is in such a good spot right now with some of these guys hitting it like 330 yards that uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's a good story, but it's uh too much competition for tiger right now i guess they're they don't offer the uh tiger versus the field bet anymore huh because i because i like the field in this one <laughs> yeah i probably can't get that today um right. you know unless they let him play from some forward tees or something but <laughs> right. I, I don't think augusta's probably going to do that but uh, if he plays it'll be interesting to see how it goes yeah all right well it has been a real pleasure talking to you justin thanks so much for uh, joining us on the podcast again and uh Best of luck getting through the first half of April. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, guys, for having me on. And uh, hopefully we'll peg some winners here. Yep. All right. Thanks, Justin. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Let's update our betting bankroll. And in what has become a recurring theme of late, the bad news outweighs the good. Uh, first, one futures bet made early in the NBA season. I bet on the Golden State Warriors to finish atop the Pacific Division at plus 175 odds. I was correct that they didn't have to worry much about the Lakers or Clippers, but I overlooked <laughs> the Phoenix Suns, who have uh... clinched the division with several games to go. Warriors can't catch them. That costs us $100. Mm. Then we have our Oscars bets. From a moral perspective, I feel good about us fading Will Smith, uh, but bankroll-wise, we lost 50 bucks on Benedict Cumberbatch, and the real killer was my bet on Cumberbatch's co-star, Cody Smith-McPhee. I timed that one horribly, and it cost us $165. I did make up for it to an extent, though, with my bet last week on plus 125 underdog Coda to win Best Picture. We won $100 there. Moving on to March Madness bets, a mixed bag. My $50 bet at plus 320 on Texas Tech and Houston going equally far fizzled out. But your $40 bet, John, on Kansas to reach the final four at plus 275 was a winner. We profit $110 on that one. And lastly, I had three small boxing underdog bets. None of them won. Thankfully, they only added up to $55 total. In the end, our bankroll took a hit this week to the tune of $210. So we are now down by a rather pathetic $3,188. We've reduced the amount on hold in futures bets to $685. So we're left with $6,127 available to bet this week. 
and I'm up first, and I'm stealing a page from your book, John. I'm only making futures bets this week, bets that can't possibly lose yet. Uh, if our hole gets deeper next week, it's not my fault. Uh, so uh, first, an NBA futures bet. I watched the full Sixers-Suns game on Sunday, and not that I didn't know this already, but the Suns are really good. If their key players stay healthy, I just don't see anyone in the Western Conference beating them in a seven-game series. I guess the Grizzlies and the Nuggets, if they both get healthier, they have the best chance, but still, I don't see it. I think the Suns are no worse than 50-50 to reach the NBA Finals this year, with most of the bad side of that being purely on account of the possibility of injury. Um, but I'm still finding them as high as plus 150 to win the conference. I think there's definite value there. Plus, uh, if they win the West, we're halfway home on your bet for a team not from California, Texas, mm -hmm. New York, or Florida win the title. So uh, double the rooting interest for us. Let's bet $100 to win 150 Phoenix Suns to win the West. Yeah, I took the Suns to uh, win the West uh, on your advice here. Uh, on uh, BetMGM at a $20 free bet, so uh, why oh, not okay. take a shot there? And uh, All right. Now, it's the Texas Open this week in the PGA Tour, and this week I'm splitting my 100 units three ways. First, it's $20 on Canadian Corey Connors. Say that three times fast. Uh, <laughs> touted by Justin in the Masters preview uh, mm -hmm. to win here at plus 1800 then a pair of KG American veterans this time around. Kevin Strillman, top 20 for 40 units at plus 200. And I'm surprised to get Charlie Hoffman, who's a, a horse for the course, at plus 275 for top 20 and another 40 units there. Okay. Um, now, I haven't made any MLB futures bets yet, but that changes right now. Um, we've talked before about loading up on player prop unders for the season. Mm. It's especially sharp in the NFL because there are so many injuries, but there are also injuries in MLB and they add value to unders. As we saw last year with our bet on Bryce Harper under 37 and a half homers, he missed just enough games last year. He played in 141 out of 162. He hit 35 homers. It was close, but even in an MVP season, he came up a little short. Uh, the one that jumps out at me this year, is Joey Gallo. His home run line at most books is 38 and a half. And I like the under, but I checked around and at Fox bet, I don't know what they're thinking. The line is 41 and a half. Uh, now there is minus 125 juice on the under, but I will gladly pay that juice for a cushion of three extra homers. Here's Gallo by season. Um, We'll throw out his first two years, 2015, 2016. He hit seven homers total in 53 games. He wasn't really a full-time major leaguer yet. 2017, 41 homers in 145 games. 2018, 40 homers in 148 games. 2019, 22 homers, only 70 games. Uh, 2020, the shortened season, just 10 homers in 57 games. And 2021, split between the Rangers and the Yankees, 38 homers in 153 games. So these lines that they've posted, anywhere from 38 and a half to 41 and a half, they make sense if he's going to stay healthy and play a full season, play at least like 155 games. Any injury that costs him two weeks of the season I don't see much chance of him hitting a career high 42 homers, which is what he needs to beat our line. And also he batted 160 for the Yankees last year, 160. His career average is 206. If he's batting around 200, I just don't see how he stays in the lineup every day, all season. You know, if he's slumping, which the guy is constantly slumping uh, an 0 for 20 streak is business as usual for him. Uh, he has 885 strikeouts in 2014 career at bats. You know, if he's slumping and the manager gives him a day off, those add up too. So bottom line, 
there are a lot of paths to the under and only one path to the over him staying healthy and having the best season of his career. Now with these full season sweats, I just don't see the point in betting a hundred bucks, the same as what we bet on any individual game. It's all season long. Really. We, probably should bet like five times our standard single game betting unit on a season long bet that we feel good about, but I won't go that far, especially with our bankroll shrinking. I'll find a spot in between less risk, $250 to win 200 Gallo under 41 and a half homers. Yeah, I mean, the overplay is he's playing in a bandbox down Yankee Stadium first full year. And I understand that. But I think underrated is that, you know, the whole uh, kind of athlete handle playing in New York. It's a little overrated mm-hmm. at times, but this guy pressed unbelievably and the crowd was not amused by him. Right. And if he gets off to a bad start, uh, yeah, it's not going to be pretty. And you're right. They will have to bench him. So uh, I, I like to bet. Uh, boy, that number scares me. But <laughs> I maybe we'll would. win. Maybe we'll win. Who knows? Right, you know? right. Now, finally, I, I would be remiss if I didn't make a play on one of the events of the year. Duke couldn't coach K against arch rival North Carolina in March Madness Final Four. Uh, that action's on Saturday, by the way. Uh, full disclosure, I'm 0-3 betting against Duke in the last three rounds. So I tried to keep an open mind as I did my research. Well, I wound up stumped. Uh, these teams each have a recent double-digit win on the road against each other, and each has a number of perceived advantages while having short benches. So foul trouble is going to be a key. In a case like that where anything goes, give me the points. I get four and a half with North Carolina, 110 to win 100. This way, even if Coach Case survives, this bet can too. Okay, I like it. And uh, my brother who uh, went to grad school at UNC, where I just recently learned in one of his classes, he taught Danny Green, now of the Philadelphia 76ers. I had no idea. But anyway, he's rooting for UNC. So uh, this gives us one more uh, reason there uh, to get on board North Carolina. Um, By the way, I I did a quick calculation in my Excel spreadsheet. Um, I decided I wanted to see what our since we're doing so poorly, I was curious what our hold, what our negative hold was. So I totaled how much money we've bet over the course of a little over three and a half years uh, in, in Excel. It's just a simple, you know, highlight that row and and it adds it up for you. It's around seventy seven thousand dollars that we've bet across all of our bets. We're down that three thousand one hundred eighty eight dollar figure I noted earlier. So the books hold on us is around four percent. So. We're still a little less bad at this than the average sports better. Not by much, but, you know, if, if we're looking for something positive to cling to, uh, we've got that going for us. Yeah. Yeah, that's not as bad as I would have expected. So I, I feel good about that. I, don't, I feel good about it, but I feel less bad about <laughs> less it. Less bad. That's that's the best we can do right now. Yeah. All right. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Justin Van Zuden. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. And so I visited three Atlantic City Casino sportsbooks on St. Patrick's Day and then a Jersey City brewery three days later to watch local darling St. Peter's take on North Carolina. Hey, somebody's got to do it, right? So uh, now each site had good crowds and excitement grew as tip-offs neared. But I got a helpful reminder of the difference between gamblers and, well, you know, everybody else, like, I don't know, normal people. Uh, it seemed like every sportsbook patron, of course, had money in the games, and they probably did. And there was little chit-chat even during commercial breaks, and not just because multiple games were going on that, that once that afternoon either. 
at the brewery, a number of young visitors were checking their sports betting apps and noticed, wait, where's the St. Peter's game? Now, these clearly are the most casual of fans because as it happens, not only could you not bet on New Jersey colleges in New Jersey in general, you couldn't bet on any MAC tournament games held earlier in the month in Atlantic City of all places, uh, according to the quirk of the state law. But each group of friends seemed to have someone to explain that, no, you can't bet on this game. And those would-be risk takers, well, they just shrugged. There was some interest in gambling along with IPA sipping, but it sure was no deal breaker that they couldn't bet the game. Now, there's a certain irony that those visitors denied a chance to bet at St. Peter's. Let's face it, many of them would have tried a tasty money line wager, no doubt. They would have seen their money take flight only minutes into this lopsided game as the Peacocks failed to fly. So they didn't know it, but they got that familiar gambler's hedge. Heart with the Peacocks, wallet remains intact. Call it a consolation prize of sorts. And with that, until next time, gamble on.